growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. If an all-good, all-kind, all-loving God exists, then evil cannot exist in a world with that God. That is the intellectual problem of evil. Perhaps you remember a prayer you were taught as a child to say before a meal. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. By His hands we are all fed. Thank you, God, for daily bread. Certainly it's a classic recited by probably millions of children through the years. But is God good? Is He great? If God is good, if God is kind and God has the power and God has the knowledge, then, then why did this happen in my life? Why did my loved one have to die of cancer? Why did my job have to get cut? Why did I get raped? Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. You know, just hearing those questions asked just a moment ago may make you bristle. Of course God is great. Of course God is good. As followers of Jesus, questions like that seem ridiculous. But to some people, asking whether God is good or loving or great seem like valid questions to ask. After all, someone might ask, how can God be good and great and there be so much evil and suffering in the world? Why would an all-powerful, all-knowing God allow children to starve to death in Africa? How can he allow such injustice to go on? Why didn't he heal my loved one of cancer? If God is all-knowing, he's going to know when evil is coming. And if God is truly all-loving, then God would never allow evil to happen. But evil does happen. Questions like that are hard ones to deal with, not because there's not an answer, but because this is a subject that can create a lot of emotions. Pretty much all of us have experienced some type of suffering, loss, or injustice. And even though we affirm the truth of that children's prayer I recited a moment ago, we still find ourselves asking, why? To talk about it as a mental exercise, to discuss and sit around over coffee and talk about, you know, how could God do that? Or It's one thing, but it's another thing to bring it home into my own life. And to say, why doesn't God do something? Today in the I Am series exploring the mysteries of God, Pastor Clay is going to take on the subject that men and women have struggled with for thousands of years. It is the problem of evil. How can an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-benevolent God allow evil to exist in the world? As I said, this is not an easy subject to take on, but it's an important one if we're going to know and understand our God more clearly, and if we're going to be able to share with others who have experienced great pain and loss in their own lives. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. We are in a series called The Great I Am, discussing who this God is talking about some of the uh, more mysterious or more difficult concepts about God that are hard sometimes perhaps to get our mind around. Or maybe we just don't devote enough time in our busy culture, maybe not enough time to investing in that subject matter. Uh, starting this morning and carrying into to next Sunday, uh, Lord willing, uh, we are going to dive into an area that perhaps is one of the most problematic areas in all of, of Christianity, of all of our belief system. And it is what is referred to as the problem of evil. The problem of evil. I want to talk to you about it for just a few moments this morning. Hopefully whet your appetite so that you want to come back next week. And perhaps you even want to bring somebody with you that, that has faced this struggle or knows what you're talking about when you've been talking about the problem of evil. So uh, if you'd like to take notes, there's a little bit of outline on the back of your information sheet. We're going to fill in a few of those uh, today. But we're going to start uh, with this idea 
what is, uh, what, what, what is the problem? What, what, what's the problem? What's the problem? What does it look like? What does it mean? Well, there are, two, uh, there are two issues. When we talk about the problem of evil, there are two issues to address. There is first what you refer to as the logical or the intellectual issue. Okay? Uh, it, was, it was kind of uh, formulated by the Greek uh, philosopher Epicurus thousands of years ago. And he, he kind of put it into a system where the, the, the problem of evil looks like this. Here's what it says. If an omnipotent, and by an omnipotent means all-powerful, okay? If an omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, omnibenevolent, all-good, all-kind, all-loving uh, God exists, then evil cannot exist. If, if God is all-powerful, and if he is all-knowing, and if he is all-good, then, then evil can't exist in a world with that God. The second point, there is evil in the world. Therefore, the third point, an omnipotent, omniscient, and omnibenevolent God does not exist. That is the, the intellectual uh, argument or problem of evil. In other words... If, if God is, is all of these things, if he is uh, all-powerful and he has the power to, to uh, prevent evil from happening, and if God is all-knowing, uh, that means he's going to know when evil is coming. And if God is truly all-loving so that he's, he's a God of love and kindness, then, then, then God would never allow evil to happen. But evil does, not, does happen. So we've got a problem. All right? So that's, that's kind of the, the intellectual uh, mental, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the problem of evil. But there's a second issue, which is really, it, it's where it's going to strike home. And it, and it is this. It is the personal or the emotional issue. It is the personal or the emotional issue with the problem of evil. In other words, to talk about it as a mental exercise, an intellectual thing, that's fine and good, but that, that's, that's very... Um, it's very clinical to discuss and sit around over coffee and talk about, you know, well, how come this or how could God, God do that? Or it's one thing, to, but it's another thing to bring it home into my own life and to say, why doesn't God do something? Where was God when this happened in my life? Why, why doesn't God act? Why doesn't, you see, you understand what I'm saying? It is the personal or the emotional issue of the problem of evil. If God is good, if God is kind and God has the power and God has the knowledge, then, then why did this happen in my life? Why did my, why did my loved one have to die of cancer? Why, why did my job have to get cut? Why did I get raped? It's very personal stuff, isn't it? And that gets to the real issue of the problem. Why doesn't, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God act and, and move and, and accomplish something? Well... Those are the two issues that surround the problem of evil. The question is, is there an answer? Is there a solution to the problem of evil? Well, in fact, there have been a number of issues raised or or solutions to the problem that have been raised through the years. I want to cover the first two with you, uh, and I'm going to do it together because just quite honestly, I I don't think it needs that much time to explain and I also don't think that they're worth meriting that much attention to. But uh, the, 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 the first 
two possible solutions. We're looking for a possible solution to the problem of evil. If, 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 if God is all-powerful, all-good, uh, all-knowing, uh, and evil exists, how do I reconcile those? How can, that, how can that exist? Well, here's one of the possible solutions. Either God is not real... Or evil is not real. That's, those are two positions that have been put forward by people who have had serious thought and dialogue about this. And they've sat down. And one of the possible answers is God is not real. God is not real. So that's, that's one of the possible answers. You, you can bring that up, Tyler. God is not real. But I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm not going to deal with it because I, I spent uh, at least three weeks at the beginning of this series, if you were here, spent at least three weeks walking through some of the reasons and arguments for the, for the existence of God. And, and I think we delved into that uh, pretty strongly. And, and I know I'm biased, but I obviously come down on the side that it is simply uh, irrational, illogical, and, and unrealistic to deny the existence of God. The, the evidence is simply too overwhelming that God exists. So all around us, everything tells us that can't be true. Now, somebody might say, well, all right, if the evidence is so strong, then why doesn't everybody believe in God? If you're saying the evidence is overwhelming and God can plainly be seen, which is what Paul says, by the way, in Romans 1, I'm just stealing it from him. If, if God is, can plainly be seen, then why doesn't everybody believe in God if the evidence is so clear? That is a valid question. And here's how I'd respond. First, I would say this. Keep in mind that the vast majority of the world does believe in God. The vast majority of the world believes in some idea, some concept of God. Now, uh, many parts of the world and many people may be mixed up on, on who that God is, what that God looks like. But without question, the vast majority of the world's population believes in, in, in the idea of a spiritual realm, believes in, in the idea of, of life after death, and believes in, in some type of, of eternal power, some type of, of God. Like I said, they may be mixed up on their understanding of it, but the vast majority of the world does believe in God, okay? So when we ask the question, well, why doesn't everybody believe in God? Most of the world does believe in some concept of God, okay? But still you're left with the question, well... But why don't they believe in God? It, it, if, if there are some people that don't believe in God, why don't they believe in God? I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you my observations from discussions and dialogue with people through the years. People that do not believe in God do so because they don't want to believe in God. Because ultimately they don't want to believe in God. Because, or at least not the God that's revealed in, in the Bible. At least not this God, because if this is true, if this God exists the way this Bible describes him, if this is the, the one true God, then it means that I have to, I, I'm accountable to him. It means that someday I'll, I'll have to stand before, or probably more properly kneel before him and give an account for my life. It means that, that the decisions I make in my life, how to conduct myself, uh, who to marry, Whatever. The questions I have to make in life, the decisions I need to make in life, that they, that they should be based on God and what God says is best and what God says is morally right or morally wrong. That that means that I need to run all that through God and see what God desires for my life and, and, and for his creation. And the, and the truth is, some people just don't want to do that. Some people, a lot of people really, want to live their life the way they want to live their life. They want to make decisions they want to live. They want to do the things that they want to do. 
And they don't want anyone to tell them whether what they're doing is right or wrong. Anyone, not you, not me, certainly not an all-powerful God. And so, for some people, it simply becomes easier to say, well, God doesn't exist because I don't have to deal with it then. Or they think they don't have to deal with it then. Y'all know I've said this. Some of y'all regular part across culture, you've heard me say this. When it comes to people that, that choose not to believe, it's not a head problem. It never is. It's not a head problem. It's a heart problem. Now, as I've said, there may be people that have intellectual questions, but they're open. They're wanting to receive information. But when a person rejects God, ultimately, it's not a head problem. It is a heart problem. You remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 14.1 and it says it again in 53.1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Now, and I may have said this last time I brought this verse up, but doesn't that seem strange to you that the psalmist says the fool has said in his heart? Wouldn't you think it would say the fool has said in his head? That God does not exist. Or wouldn't you think that the more proper way to say it would, would be uh, the fool has thought in his mind that God does not exist. But that's not what he says. It's because it's not, it's not here. Ultimately, it's here. It's the idea of rebelling against God. And I don't, I don't want to be accountable to, to, to someone who's going to tell me how I, I should or should not live my life. Now, God still, I believe in the concept of free will and, and how that works out. But this idea that a person ultimately is responsible and will give an account to God. So the, the whole God is not real thing, it just, does, it just won't, it won't fly. I'm honestly, I'm just, it won't fly. So the other possibility that I mentioned is that uh, then evil is not real. Evil is not real. Evil doesn't really exist. Now, again, not going to spend a lot of time on it because, uh, because it, it's, uh, what's, that, what's that Hebrew word I'm trying to think of? Hogwash. That's, that's it. Hog, hog, hogwash. It, by the way, if you say it the right way, it probably does sound kind of Hebrewish. Hogwash. Or, or sound Klingon or something. I don't know. But it, it, it's, listen, and I'm not, I'm just telling you, it's ridiculous because any of you, you see, this is the problem with this. Well, evil doesn't exist. The problem with that is it's not grounded in reality. Is there any person in this room that has never experienced pain or loss or suffering or hurt or injustice or, you know what I'm saying? It's just not grounded in reality. And yet, you would be amazed at how many, how widespread this belief system is. Basically, all of what we refer to as the Eastern mysticism religions, the, the New Age religions, um, uh, Christian science cult, uh, all of them would adhere to this idea that, that evil is, is, it's an illusion. It's not really there. It's just, it's not really, and I know that, that you're thinking, y'all are looking at me like, that is wrong. You're right. But, but you'd be amazed at how many people somehow find some sort of something in that, oh, it's not, it's not real. Uh, Dr. Francis uh, Schaefer, who truly is one of the, one of the greatest minds of the 20th century uh, and a defender of the Christian faith, um, Dr. Schaefer tells this uh, story uh, in his book, uh, The God Who Is There. He tells a story about an incident that occurred one day when he was on the campus of Princeton University, and, or Cambridge, I'm sorry, Cambridge University. And he was uh, in the dorm room of a young student uh, from South Africa. Leave it, to, leave it to the South African student. Um, he was in the dorm room 
of a young South African student who had a group of students in there, and they were they were talking about religion and beliefs and and all that kind of thing. And among the people that were in there was a, a young uh, uh, Indian gentleman, a young man from India. He was of of, uh, of Sikh uh, heritage, but he was a Hindu in his religious practice. And in the in their dialogue, this young uh, Hindu began to, to talk about, you know, all the problems with Christianity or things that he thought was wrong with Christianity or whatever. But Dr. Schaefer said he seemed totally oblivious to the, to the, to the difficulties in his own belief system. And so in the midst of this conversation, uh, Dr. Schaefer uh, said to him uh, this. He said, uh, am I not correct in saying that on the basis of your system, on, on the basis of what you believe, cruelty and non-cruelty are ultimately equal? There is no good, there is no evil, that's, that's, that's the teachings. That there is no intrinsic difference between them. Uh, evil, non-evil, there's, there's no difference between uh, cruelty and non-cruelty. And the young uh, Indian man said, that's, that's right, that's what, that's what Hinduism teaches. There is no difference. The young South African student immediately grabs a hold of what this young man has said. He jumps up and he goes over to his little kitchenette area where he gets a pot of, of uh, steaming water that he was preparing to make uh, tea with. And he comes over and he, and he holds this steaming pot of hot water directly over the head of this Indian gentleman who was seated there. And the young Indian gentleman looks up in quite astonishment and says, what, are, what in the world are you doing? And according to Dr. Schaefer, the young South African student in a very calm and passionateless tone says there is no difference between cruelty and non-cruelty. And Dr. Schaefer said the Indian gentleman immediately jumped to his feet and left the building. <laughs> you see, it's just, folks, it, when, you get, when you come down to the reality of it, it's just not based in reality. There is evil. You and I experience it in our lives. We know that it's true. And the Word of God makes it clear that it is true. Okay? So those two, they, they, just won't, they just won't do. All right, let's, get, let's try and get to the next one. Here's, the, here's the, the next possible answer. God is not in control. Okay, if God is, okay, he is real. All right, uh, evil is real. Well, then God's not in control. That's the next possible solution to the problem of evil. Everybody understands what the problem of evil is? We kind of walk through that, what that is. If there's all, God is all good, all knowing, all powerful, uh, then he certainly would not allow evil to exist, and yet evil exists, so we've got a problem with this. All right? So one of the possible solutions is God is not in control. Now, I will confess to you, I admit to you, this is seemingly the simplest solution to the problem of evil. Just, just deny God omni or all something. Just deny his omni power, just deny his omni knowledge, just deny his omni uh, benevolence, and the problem of evil can be resolved. Because, because if God is not all powerful, if he's not omnipotent, if he's not all powerful, then he can't necessarily uh, stop evil from coming into my life. Or if he's not omniscient, if he doesn't know everything, then he wouldn't know when evil was coming into my life and therefore couldn't stop it. Or if he has, is not omnibenevolent, if he is not all kind, compassionate, loving, then he just doesn't really care what happens 
or who gets hurt. So if you want to solve the problem of evil, just take away one of God's omnis or all three of them. And the problem is resolved. God's not in control. God may be. And this, most people that, that, that lean towards this direction, uh, the, this, this may be, the, the, they like to cling to the idea that God may be all benevolent. He, he may be all kind. He, he may be all loving. He just can't control it. He just doesn't know everything. He just doesn't have all the power. He just can't, he just can't do it all. Because if God lacks one of these qualities, if he lacks omniscience, if he lacks omnipotence, if he lacks omnibenevolence, then the logical problem of evil is resolved. It's done. It's finished. God just doesn't have control. Um, You may may or may not have heard these terms. Process theology or open theism would be two theologies or philosophies that that would gravitate in this direction. Because open theism, um, process theology basically teach that God is growing. God is expanding. God is evolving. God is learning. And if God is learning, then he must not have all knowledge because he's still gaining some. And if he's growing, he must not have all power. That's what, so that's what open theism teaches. So uh, God's just not in control. He, he, can't, he, can't, he can't do it. You'd be surprised how many people lean towards that one. Some of you are old enough to remember uh, and may, may recognize the name Ra- uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner. Rabbi Harold Kushner uh, wrote a book years ago, New York Times bestseller, entitled Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. It, the book came out years ago, but, uh, but you, you may have heard the title before, Why Bad Things Happen uh, to Good People. Kushner wrote the book. He was, he, was a, he was an ordained Jewish rabbi. He believed in God all of his life, but he wrote the book after his three-year-old son was diagnosed with a disease that would eventually take his three-year-old son's life. And Harold Kushner, listen, you can identify with this in, in, in whatever your sufferings have been in life. Harold Kushner comes face to face with this reality. If God is good, if he's all good, and if he has all power and all knowledge, surely he would not want my son to suffer. Surely he would not want my son to have to die as a result of this disease. And Harold Kushner comes to, unfortunately, come to the conclusion that God simply must not be in control. God, God does love me. I believe that. God does love my son. But God must not have all knowledge. He, he must not have all power. That's the only way I can, I, can, I can rationalize in my mind how a loving God would let this happen to my son. Listen, any of us can, can touch base on that one. You know what I'm saying? Any one of us, because I, I dare say it's not a one of us in this room that had not at some point in our lives said, God, why? God, why is this happening? God, why am I going through that? God, why am I having to experience this? not a person in this room that's not been through some of that stuff. Or if you have, see me afterwards because I, I want to know what your secret is. God's just, God's just not in control. It's not his fault. He's just not in control. Okay, I should have said this when I first started, but spoiler alert, this one is in, as incorrect as the first two. Listen, let me, let me just show you real quickly a few passages of Scripture. Deuteronomy, start in Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. The psalmist uh, said this, Psalm 93, 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. The prophet Jeremiah, look at this, Jeremiah 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. 
Jeremiah speaks up again, Jeremiah 32, 27. I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? And then uh, Jude, uh, Jude uh, verse 25. He is the only God, the one who saves us. To him be glory, greatness, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord for all time, past, now, and forever. Amen. I'm just telling you, I, I'm, I'm not a smart guy. But that doesn't sound to me like a God that's not in control. That sounds to me like a God who has all authority and all power and who is on his throne working and accomplishing his purposes. No, to say that he is not in control, as I said earlier, it is seemingly the simplest solution to the problem of evil, but it's not the correct one. As a matter of fact, part of the problem with that solution is that it, it, it opens up a myriad of other problems for us to now have to deal with if God is not in control. Let me give them to you real quickly before we close this morning. If God is not in control, then it makes the word of God unreliable. Because, and I just gave you truly a handful, page after page, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, book after book, speaks to the the omniscience and the omnipotence and the the all-lovingness of our God over and over and over again on the pages of God's word. And if it's not true then how can I rely on it for anything? How, how can I rely on this if, if, they got, if it got that one wrong on virtually every page of the Bible? The Word of God now is unreliable if, if God is not in control. Second, if God is not in control, it makes faith in God unstable. Because if He's not in control, what can I trust Him for? If he doesn't know what's coming into my life, and if I don't believe that he has the power to do something in that circumstance, situation that's coming into my life, how in the world can I possibly have faith or trust in him to do anything in my life? How can I depend on him for anything? My faith is completely unreliable. It's, it's, it's tossed to and fro if God is not in control. Third, it makes peace through God unattainable. Can you, and listen, any of you, any people that have had discussions with people that don't believe in God, you may, you'll have, if you know them very well, you'll have seen this in their life. Because if, if God's not there and if God's not in control, how can I possibly ever have peace in my life? Because I understand I don't necessarily know what's coming, but if he doesn't know what's coming, how do I possibly have this, what is it? This peace that passes all understanding that will guard your mind in, in Christ Jesus. How can I possibly experience that in my life if I, if I suddenly come to the realization that God is not in control, God's not in charge, God doesn't know what he's doing or, or God's missing it or he doesn't have enough knowledge or, or something. Peace is impossible to have. And fourth, it makes a future with God unknowable. If, if he doesn't have control then how can I know if he can pay for my sins? How can I know if there is even a heaven? If he doesn't know, how can I know? If he doesn't have all power to accomplish these things, then, then, then if life is just a, a crapshoot, if it's just a roll of the dice, if it's, if it's just take your chances or do the best you can, which is how a lot of people live their life. As scary as it sounds, it's how a lot of people live their life. But if that's all that life is, then man, I... I have no way of knowing whether there's any peace or assurance in my life. I would live my life every day the way Fernando said last night he was living his life. He said, he said, he said I'm afraid. I'm afraid to die. I'm afraid of what will happen. I'm afraid of where I'll go. And I was too before I came to know Christ as my Savior. So, God is not real. No, the evidence is just too overwhelming. 
Evil is not real. Reality is just too overwhelming. God is not in control. It flies in the face of what Scripture teaches and what we've seen in the providence of God throughout history working. And, it make, and, it, it, and, if, it's, and if it's true, folks, every one of us are in a boatload of trouble. There better be a, there better be a better solution to the problem of evil. And there is. And if you come back next week, you'll get to hear it. Yeah, you come back next week, you'll get to hear it. And if you bring somebody with you, they'll get to hear it. Listen, the problem of evil is real, all right? It is, all of us have at times thought, man, God, there's children starving to death in the Sudan. God, there, there, there's cancer running rap, rampant in, in this part of the world. God, there's this happening. Every one of us have wondered why. Why, God, what's going on? It's the problem of evil. Fortunately for us, we have a God who is greater than the problem of evil or any other problem in our life. Today we started looking at a problem that mankind has struggled with for a long time, the problem of evil. As we heard Pastor Clay say today, God's word is clear. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-benevolent. Any solution to the problem of evil that says God is less than that is simply wrong. But we still don't have an answer. That's why you need to come back next week as Pastor Clay walks us through two more possible answers to the existence of evil in a world created by the omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent God. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.